everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Walk. I'm your host, Joshua Ingram. It is Tuesday, April 18th, year of our Lord, 2023. And this is episode number 87. I made a mistake on the last episode and said that it was episode 85, uh, when in fact, I, I believe it was episode 86. So we're correcting that, and, and this is episode number 87. All right, I want to talk about something I've talked about quite a bit on the podcast. I've written a lot of articles about it. Um, so if it's something you're not interested in, you know, you just might want to skip this part. But Or if it's something, you know, you've, you've heard enough. Because um, a lot of this is just going to be repetitive information. But it's it's come up in my life again. It's it's come up in conversation, and um, so it's just got me thinking about it a lot again. And I just wanted to reiterate my position um, on the issue of the Bible versions um, and and why I'm a King James only uh, person. And so. I want to preface preface this by saying because I, I think there are people out there that uh, don't believe that a person is saved if, if they're reading from another version. Um, that's not my position. The, the other versions contain the gospel. The other versions contain enough of the truth for a person to be saved, for, for the Holy Spirit to work in that person, to grow that person, to edify that person. Um, but there's, there's poison in those other versions that will, um, corrupt your thinking on, on certain issues. And, and so they're dangerous, you know, and, and Christians need to be warned and, and exposed to the truth of the, of the matter and pointed in the direction of the King James version. But if, if they persist in, in reading those other versions, I'm not saying a person's not saved. And it's so it's it's not like it's not heretical to read from another version. It's just dangerous. It's it's going to there is poison in those other versions. There there is the potential for for corruption, and so people need to be uh, like I say steered away from that. Um, I think the reason people continue to to read those other versions um, after they've been exposed to the truth. And I, you know, like I said, this is a, this is opinion here, so I, I don't know if this is true or not, but it's my opinion. My the way I the my observations, my speculation is that um, there's a lot of intellectual laziness in that they don't want to put the time in to to learn the language of the King James version, and so out of that laziness. And, and um, they, they're not perceiving the danger involved. There's, a, there's, a, there's an ignorance. Because of that, I think people stick to other versions. They think, oh, this is easier. This is written in modern English. Um, I can understand this better. I can read through this quicker. And... I think their assumptions are, oh, if just a, a few words are changed, you know, if the believeths 
are transformed into believe it's not a big deal. It's just, and if the, if that's all that it was, that that would be true. But um, there's concepts, there's doctrines, there's there's um, ideologies that are changed, um, and we're commanded not to tamper with the word of God. So uh, there's dangers that they they're just either choosing to ignore or they're unaware of or they just like I say they don't want to take the time to learn um, the old style English they don't want to take the time to think through what's that they just want to read it like they would a newspaper you know just let me just read it peruse it real quickly get the get the facts and move on um, rather than sitting and thinking it through and saying okay what does this mean what does this word mean? So on and so forth. So that's why I think a lot of people read it. And um, I'm not really... If I've, if I've taken the time... If you're in, in fellowship with me and I've taken the time to try my best to explain to you uh, the dangers of the other versions. And I've tried my best to explain why you should read the, read the King James. And yet you choose to persist in reading other versions. I'm not going to separate from you because of that. I'm not going to... I'm going to be disappointed. You know, it's heartbreaking. And... I'm going to worry about you uh, from from a a doctrine standpoint, but but I'm not going to separate from you. There's a distinction, though, that if if you're going to go out and teach the other versions if you're going to go beyond just a personal preference and you're going to promote the other versions that's when it becomes an issue for me Um, especially if you've studied it out if you've heard the arguments you've been exposed to the truth and you choose to reject that truth and to go that see now and that's where it becomes a, a, a big difference there's a big difference between um, intellectual laziness and ignorance. There's a difference between that and actively choosing what is wrong. If you're aware of this issue, if you've studied this out and you still choose to go the other direction, I can only see one reason, and that being uh, intellectual pride. Because there, there's, there's something intellectually thrilling about believing in the other versions because if you if you believe in the other versions then what you really believe is that the original manuscripts the original writings were inspired and we don't have those we have copies of copies and because one hebrew word or one greek word can be translated eight different ways into english um it becomes like a puzzle it becomes an intellectual puzzle where you get to decipher for yourself what the words really mean you know here's the original hebrew what did it really mean you know what what's the best english translation so so you play you get to place your intelligence um and or the intelligence of scholars um as the as your source of authority and and there's a there's a like I say there's an intellectual pride in that, and it's a thrilling thing because you get to solve a riddle, you you get to decipher, you get to put the pieces together and decide for yourself uh, what the Bible really means, you know. And and 
I think people fail to realize the danger of that, and and that's why the scriptures tell us that they're they're not open to private interpretation, and we're not allowed to add or take away from the Word of God. It, it's it's solidified. It's solid. It means what it says, and people go, oh well, you know, because this word can be translated eight different ways in English. There's no way to know for certain that the King James got it right, and I'm going to go into why I believe that that that's a fallacy. But so. Basically, what I'm, I'm trying to say is if, if a person is doing, if they're reading other versions um, out of ignorance or, or spiritual laziness or whatever, um, that's not a big deal to me as much as a person who promotes the other versions. And, and the distinction comes like you can, when you're reading the scriptures and you come across a word you're unfamiliar with, there's nothing wrong with looking up the original word in the Hebrew. You, you know, there's a strong concordance. You can get the original word in the Hebrew or the original word in the Greek, and then you can get the definition for what that is. There's nothing wrong with it. That's learning. You know, if I'm reading a, a, a secular book and I come across a word I'm unfamiliar with, I can look it up in the dictionary and I can get the synonyms for it and I can get the usage of it and I, and I can broaden my understanding of that word. And, and that's fine to do. Like you come across a word in the scriptures and, and you look it up in the Strong's and it, and it gives you a definition. That's learning. There's, there's a difference between that and, and going to the scriptures and saying, well, what this word really means or how it should really be translated, now you've made yourself an authority. You're not just looking up a definition and learning. You're saying the Bible got it wrong and it should really be this. You know, it was translated as this, but that's wrong. What it really should be is this. That's very presumptuous and arrogant um, to presume that you have the intelligence to decide what it means. And and the reason you're deciding on that definition is because you have a presupposition. You, you have an idea uh, about what, what the scriptures really should be, or you have an idea about what that topic, you know, what the truth of that topic is. And so you're choosing a definition that fits your ideology rather than submitting your ideology to what it says, you know. And, and so, like I say, if, if somebody is teaching or promoting that, I, that style, um, we have an issue. We have a major issue. Like I say, it, I don't think you could call it heresy. Because if, if I'm thinking through what heresy is, it's it's another gospel. You know, if if you have salvation right, the gospel right, then, then you're not really a heretic. But if, if you're taking that position, I, I consider you um, an attacker of the word. You're attacking the word of God. And while not while I don't think you classify that as heresy, it is a different kind of evil that's going to cause me to separate from you. Um, perhaps, you know, it's that's I listen to sermons and, and pastors who will come to a word and say, well, a better rendering of this word or a better translation of this word. And that hits me like poison when they say it. But sometimes it's... 
you can overlook it. But if they're they're actively promoting the idea, they're going about their study the wrong way. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to clarify like what what would cause me to separate from a person, but there there's just a fine line between. Um, ignorance and arrogance, preference and um, attacking the word of God. There, there, there's you have to use discernment. But if if a person's form of study is to come to the word and say, "Well, what this really means, or what this, how this should really be translated," that right there is a huge warning flag. That that's you're taking your ideas, your presuppositions. And making the word conform to that, and and that's where it becomes dangerous. And I'll, I'll have none of it. You know, I don't. I'm I'm not going to be a part of that. I I don't. I you're just you're you're in severe error there. But anyways, so so why do I believe the King James is the correct version in English? Um, number one. This step one is a biblical foundation. Um, in Psalm 12, God said that he would preserve his word forever. And multiple times in the scriptures, it said that the, the word of God is pure. It's, it's perfect. Um, in Proverbs 30, it says every word of God is pure. And so if every word of it is pure, pure is perfection. If you change purity, it's no longer pure. Um, you cannot alter it. If you alter it, it's not pure. Pure means perfect. It can't be made better. It can only be taken away from through change. Any change to it. If I have a pure glass of water, if I add something to it, I've made it less than pure. If I take something away from it, I've made it less than pure. If I alter something in it, I've made it less than pure. Pure is perfect. And so when God says that every word of God is pure, I, I believe that. I believe, okay, every single word is pure. Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You know, he said our life is in the word. Uh, Hebrews talks about how the word is quick, uh, which means alive. It's, it's living. Um, if you alter DNA... It becomes some, something else. It's it's no longer the life that it was intended to be. It, the DNA has been altered. Um, any alteration changes its essence. And so if the word is alive, you're, you cannot change its DNA. You cannot alter its DNA. It's living. Um, you know, Jesus said that not one jot or tittle would pass away. Um jot or tittle. That's like the crossing of a T or the dotting of an I. Um, and then at least three different times God has commanded us not to alter his word. Not to add or take away or to change. Um, and In fact, in the book of Revelation, uh, there's there's warnings of, of curses put upon a person who presumes to alter the word of God. And so if we're not supposed to alter, and then the, it also says in the scriptures that it's not open to private interpretation. You're not allowed to decide what the word of God means. It, it means what it says. So when, when you take all these biblical concepts and put them together, that's my foundation. 
God, God has said that his word is pure. Every single part of it, every jot and tittle, it's a living word. It's alive. It has it has an essence. It has spirit. It has DNA. It's not allowed to be altered or changed. Um, and it's, it's pure. It's perfect. And God himself has promised to preserve it, to keep it uh, throughout the generations. So, so that's my premise. With that as my premise, I look at the world and I see all the different versions and I go, okay, the, the, these are different. So they, they cannot all be pure, but God has promised a preserved and pure word. So one of them has to be it. God has promised it. God does not lie. There has to be a pure and preserved word of God somewhere. Um, because Again, that is my premise. God has promised it. I believe him. It exists. So there is a pure and perfect word somewhere available to me. It's a living word. It, it's, 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 I need it for my, my food. It's, uh, you know, I'm not going to live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So it's available. So with that as my premise, I can then examine all the other, all the versions that are available and go, okay, which one of these is it? Um, and, and so then people would, the people who take the, the textual criticism method would say it, the pure and preserved word is the original manuscripts. And at which point I would go, okay, see, and now the difference becomes uh, translation. They believe that something is lost in translation. I don't. I believe that God is able to speak to me in my language. At the day of Pentecost, you know, the, the apostles stood up and preached. Everybody heard them in their own language. There was nothing lost in those translations. They all heard the gospel. I believe that God, the master communicator, the one who gave us language, um, is able to give me his pure and perfect word in my language and in the Spanish language and in the Russian language and in the Chinese language. I believe that God is able to do that. I believe that God is able to translate without losing anything. He's able to give us that pure and perfect word in our own language. Um, so, so that, that is taken on faith. Um, that, you know, is just me believing that, that, that God is good and, and God is the, the one who created language. God is able to do that. So the problem with the textual critics is that they, they would say, well, it's only in the originals. So, you know, we lose something in the translation. So then you go, okay, where are these originals? And they go, they don't exist. You know, all we have is copies of copies. And because there's differences in these copies, we don't know what's pure and perfect. It's up to us to use our scholarly intellect to decipher what is most likely the pure and perfect. So right away, they're, they're, they're denying that they can hold in their hands the 100% absolute pure and perfect word of God. They're saying we can come to a likely conclusion that this is most likely it. Um, that, that, but so the promise of God is being nullified with that thinking. And that's just unacceptable to me. God doesn't lie. It, it is available. And um, so, then, so then we go to the, the translation process. Um, 
in the 1600s. The reason I believe the King James Version is the pure and perfect word translated from the originals into English in purity and perfection is is because of the way it was translated. Because, um, for one, it was done under the authority of a king. Ecclesiastes tells us uh, about the power of a king. I forget exactly what it says in chapter 8 there, but um, the fact that it was done under the authority of a king, you know, if the king commands you to do something, like in the 1600s you had these different English versions and King James was frustrated with that and said, look, I just want the pure and perfect word of God. Um, and so he, he, he commissioned the King James Version. He commissioned the translation said, this this better be the pure and perfect word. So you're under the authority of the king. You're under the threat of a king. And then you look at how that translation took place, and it's, it's almost miraculous because you had a group of almost 50 men um, from various different um, churches, uh, not just any one particular denomination or one particular ideology. It, it was a, a, a 50 different scholars, scholars, geniuses in the, in the languages. They didn't just go to seminary and take some, some college courses on Koinonia Greek or the ancient Hebrew. These were people that, that were fluent in the ancient languages. They spoke the language. They wrote their diaries in the language. They they were they were geniuses in classical languages. Um, you know, if you think about the geniuses we have today, they go to college. They have all these different fields they can go into: biochemistry, nuclear physics, um, computers. You know, all these different various uh, fields. But in the old days, uh, there were still geniuses, just like, you know, high IQ people. But the fields that they went into were classical languages. That's that's what was available. That's what they did. And and these were those sorts of people, genius level people. You know, Albert Einstein, Bill Gates, um, Elon Musk type people, um, with all their genius directed towards languages. They they knew these languages. Um, and again, they're under the authority of a king, under the threat of a king. You know, you had better get this right. And so these 50 people or so, um, it's approximately 50, I think, I don't know if it was like, I forget if it was 49 or 52 or however many it was, but they divided into subgroups of uh, roughly seven people. Um, so like you would have, you know, seven to 10 groups of people, each with their own section of scripture. One group would be given Genesis. Another group would be given Exodus um, and Leviticus. Another group would be given such on, you know, so on and so forth. The scriptures were divided up again amongst these groups. And then within that group, each individual was given a section. So like in group one, you know, uh, guy A would have Genesis 1 through 8. And guy 2 would have Genesis 9 through 14. So on and so forth. And they would go through with all these old manuscripts and, and all the... the uh, current Bibles and current at that time, you know the the I forget what they had the Geneva Bible, the Bishop's Bible, the the, the Gothic Bible, the French Bible, the the they had all these 
these versions that had already been translated and they had uh, the original manuscripts and they would go through um, again under authority of the king and carefully choose the English word it's a word for word translation so they would go through line by line jot by jot tittle by tittle and say okay what is the best English word for this Greek word what is the best English word for this Hebrew word and when they would come up with it they would pass it on to the next guy in their group to see if he could verify to see yeah I, I agree that is the best and then they would pass it on to the next guy in the group and once they had a consensus they would then send it to another group um, to triple check it so you you had this purification method that had to be verified several times over under the authority of a king until they they got the exact precise best English word for that Hebrew or Greek word word for word all the way through that translation process is not used today not even close instead what you have is you have groups of men um, that have taken seminary classes on Koinonia Greek somehow they think they're experts on it they, they think that their intellect or their skill level somehow comes even remotely close to what was going on in the 1600s and and then that committee translates keeping in mind that in order for them to copyright their new Bible it has to vary it has to have a 25% variation from all other existing Bibles. In order to get a copyright, you have to be at least 25% different um, from any previous translation. So they, they, they're forced um, into the, in order to make money to sell their Bibles uh, to come up with a different word or 25% di different. And then on these committees, you have Roman Catholics, you have heretics, um, all sorts of things. It, it's nowhere near the level of translation skill that went into what happened during the 1600s. So that brings me to point three here. Not only were these men skilled and, and genius level under the authority of the king with the sevenfold uh, check, double check, triple check, quadruple check method uh, verification process. Um, not only did you have that, but they were translating from the correct manuscripts. Um, out of all the manuscripts we have, over 5,000, um, more than 99% of them are in agreement with each other. It's called the Textus Receptus, the received text. This is the text that's been received throughout church history as the, the accurate, the pure, the perfect Word of God. And, and um, out of those 5,000 plus, more than 99% of them fall into this category. And this category, can it's traced backed all the way to Antioch, where Christians were first called Christians. It's called the Byzant Byzantian text or the um, Antiochian text. That that's You can trace its lineage back to Antioch. It's the pure and perfect word. And, and so this, these were the manuscripts that these men used. They rejected the Vatican texts, the 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 less than 1%. When they, when they looked at the group of manuscripts they had, they said, hold on, 0.5% uh, of these um, don't seem right. They're, they're out of place. 
and and though that less than one percent of texts uh, come from the Vatican, it's given to us by Rome, and and can trace its lineage uh, back to the fourth century Egypt, back to Alexandria, and um, Alexandria is Egypt is known as the world in scriptures. It's an it's an analogy for for uh, worldliness, an analogy for for false. It the Alexandrian texts. Um, are coming from an area during the time of origin, and and during that time, Alexandria had a cult that that's very similar to the Jehovah Witness cult, and no coincidence that the Jehovah Witnesses use these texts to translate their New World translation. Um, so you have all these factors that that caused uh, the translators of the King James Version to reject these Vatican texts that say, no, those aren't real Bibles. That's not, those are false. Those come from a cult. Those stem from, those are false translations. Those are worldly translations that stem back to Alexandria. Um, we reject those. And so they they used the pure, perfect Antiochian texts, uh, the, the majority texts the ones that make up more than 99% of what we have available that are in agreement with each other, the pure and perfect word, they used those to translate the King James. The other versions choose that, that Alexandrian text to use. All of them, every English version outside the King James Version uses those Alexandrian texts. They choose that, that less than 1% to use um, based on this evolutionary thought that older is better, that older is pure. Because these are older, because, because we can trace them back to, to, to whatever, 300 AD or, or 150 or 679 AD or whatever it is, because they're older, we're going to, regardless of the f- fact that they come from Rome, uh, that they disagree with each other, that they're full of contradictions, uh, regard, that regardless of the fact that they, they stem back to Alexandria, regardless of all that, we're going to choose to use these simply because they're older. And we've bought into that evolutionary thought that older is purer, older is better. Um, the, as a matter of fact, the, the less than 1% essentially stem comes down to just two manuscripts, uh, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus. Um, those are, those are the two main texts that all the other versions use to translate from. And both of those were given to us by Rome, the Antichrist. Why would we trust um, false texts that can be traced back to Alexandria during the time of a Jehovah Witness-like cult um, given to us by the hand of the Antichrist? Why in the world would we trust those manuscripts? The only reason they do is because they're older and they've bought into that lie of older is better. Um, so that, that's another reason to reject these modern, ver- modern versions. So <clears throat> basically, um, the King James Version is, is built, or King James onlyism is built on the premise that God's word is true. That when he said he would keep a, uh, that he would give us a preserved, pure and perfect word, he meant it. That that we can trust that. That we have a pure and perfect word. I can hold in my hand and be absolutely sure that every single jot and tittle is exactly what God said. Exactly what God wants me to have, and I can trust it. 
And so when I come to the scriptures and I read something that disagrees with my thought process, disagrees with my ideology, disagrees with what I want to be true, I can say, well, obviously I'm wrong because God promised to give me a preserved and pure word. I hold it in my hands. It is pure and perfect. It is true. It means what it says. Um, so I have to change my thinking. Whereas if you take the other method, you can go, well, this doesn't make sense. What I'm reading here doesn't fit my, my preconceived ideas. So maybe it was just translated wrong. Maybe maybe I've got a, a, an impure word here. Maybe, you know, and so then you, you're allowed private interpretation. You're allowed to discern for yourself what is true. And, and, and that's just erroneous thinking. And again, if a person promotes and teaches that way, if you are a teacher and, and your argument for your ideas is, well, that what that word really means or that, that's a mistranslation, what it really should say, we, we're not going anywhere. You know, I, I've got, we have no room for debate because your very premise the, the very foundation of your thinking is wrong. And, and so everything that comes, your, 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 um, the source of your fountain is, is impure. And so anything that comes forth from you is going to be wrong. I've got, I, you know, there's, there's no room to debate any argument you have. There's, we got to go back to step one and we got to look, look, right here your foundation is wrong and because your foundation is wrong nothing you say can be trusted nothing um the only you know like i say when a, when a pastor says that or something it's very offensive um there's there is room for grace because like i say a lot of those other versions match the king james version in many places so they're going, they're going to have things right. And um, fortunately, most of them get the gospel right. Um, so, so we're going to have that right. But the, the way you think, the way you teach is wrong. And again, if, if you're a promoter of that, if that's your style of thinking, um, while not a heretic, I consider you an enemy of the word. You know, especially, like I say, if, if you've studied this out, if you've heard these arguments and you reject this line of thinking, the only reason to do that is because you want to be the authority. You want to be the authority over the Word of God. You want to be able to fit the Word of God into your ideology. You want to be able to twist the Word of God to fit your understanding. You want to manipulate the Word of God so that it, that, that it fits your arguments, it fits your dogma. And... and that makes you an enemy of the word of God. And like I say, we, we've got no room for discourse because we, we can't even get step one right. And so we've got nowhere to go. I was thinking um, about how we're living in a day an age where essentially truth has died like going into the future um probably starting right now you know it's it's going to be impossible for people to know 
whether or not uh, the information they're receiving is true. And, and this is in all forms, whether um, visually, audibly, sensually, like people can't trust their senses anymore. Um, when you look at the technology with the, um, with the, with the AI art and the, the AI audio and stuff like that. And then when you look at, um, how far along deep fake videos have come, uh, where it's crazy. It's like almost imperceivable to spot whether or not something's a deep fake. And like, we're just getting started on that stuff. It's only going to get better. And then you look at, um state-controlled media and and state-controlled censorship it's really orwellian you know it's it's if if you read 1984 that that's what it was all about was the control of information so people don't know what's true and and we're we're in that age now i feel like my generation the previous generation uh gen x millennials whatever uh, we're the last generation that had access to truth. We we could still research things independently of state-sponsored sources, and we didn't have to like if if somebody were to Photoshop something, um, you know, we could tell. And but now you're at the point where you can watch a video, or if you like, look into Project Bluebeam um, with the um, holographic images and stuff. It's it's. It's almost impossible, like I say, to tell. And and um, in another couple of years, it will be impossible to tell what's real and what's not. So you can't trust your eyes anymore. You can watch a video um, and, and it'll show you something happening and it didn't really happen. It's all just computer generated. Um, or you can hear somebody say something and you can't trust your ears because they didn't really say it. It's, it's AI generated. And... Um, the the information you read in papers or on the internet is all controlled it's all propaganda so like i say it's 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 pretty frightening like truth will be unavailable to people like they just it 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 won't exist nobody will have the ability to find out whether or not something is true and you won't be able to trust your senses what you see is not real what you hear is not real what you what you read is not real and so um it's it's truly an age of deception of great deception and it really makes it vitally important um that you have a few foundations in your mind in regards to the scriptures um number 1 is that God is sovereign no no matter what's going on in the world no matter what kind of technology God is sovereign He's in control of all things. He has the ability to supersede all forms of deception. He 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 controls all things. He does what he wants. He can do what he pleases. So you you have to have that in mind. Then you have to have um the fact that God does not lie. He he's good and pure and perfect and he is incapable of lying. He speaks the truth. So he's all powerful. He does whatever, nothing can hinder him from doing what he wants. And uh, that's A. And then B, 
He is always truthful. He is never deceitful. He never lies. So you have a God that does what he wants and everything he says is true. Those are, you have to have those as found. It's, I cannot begin to express how important it is for you to understand that because as you're coming into an age of deception, you have to have a, a foundation of reality. You have to have this secure foundation that exists. God does what he wants. He does not lie. And then the third point, he's given us his word and, it, and he preserves it. No attacks can come against it. There's nothing AI or, or um, you know, everybody's talking now about, um, if you start looking into conspiracies, the, the big thing now is that CERN has somehow altered reality and uh, the Mandela effect. And, and, you know, it's like we're living in an alternate universe. Things have changed. And, and I've seen people try to attack the Bible that way. And it's very clever deception. But you have to have it settled in your mind that God preserves his word. The all-powerful, almighty God that does whatever he pleases, pleases to preserve his word. And he does not lie. It's pure. It's perfect. It's, it's unalterable. It's unchangeable. Which is another reason why you need to settle it in your heart that the King James Version is that word in English. Because otherwise you, you open up a, a slippery slope where uh, the word can be changed. It can be altered. It's open to opinion and translation mistakes. And, and then the whole foundation comes crumbling down. And then you have no basis of reality because what is true then? You don't know. You have to trust and rely on, on scholars and, and translators and, and new discoveries and, and older manuscripts. And rather than relying on the, the foundation of God, you rely on the foundation of academia. And, and that is sinking sand. It will not hold. It will not stand. Um, in this age of deception, you have to trust that God preserves his word. So when you hold in your hand, um, in the English language, the King James, and if you speak Spanish, you know, find whatever the equivalent is to the King James, the one that was translated into Spanish uh, from the Textus Receptus, from the correct manuscripts, word for word. Whatever the King James equivalent is in Spanish, that's the Bible you want. In Chinese, whatever the King James equivalent is, you want that. I'm not saying that you can't translate the word into other languages. That, that of course, can be done. Um, but it has to be done from those pure, perfect manuscripts, and it has to be done uh, word for word. And so, um, in English, it's it's that King James. We You have to hold fast to that. That what you hold in your hand is the pure and perfect word of God. And it cannot be changed because it's, it's supernaturally protected. Deceivers cannot alter it because God himself is preserving it. It is preserved forever. Uh, Psalm 12 talks about that. Um, it, is, it is pure, perfect. You can trust it. God does not lie. And he has the power to protect and preserve his word. It's like there's a force field around it, protecting it from the effects of the world. So, so you have to have those foundations. You have to know 
that, that the King James Bible is the Word of God. And you have to trust that more than you trust your own sight, more than you trust your own thoughts, more than you trust what you hear, what you see, what you perceive, what you think, what your, what your reasoning determines. The Word of God is to be trusted more than all of that in this age of deception. So you have to have those foundations that God does what he pleases and he is powerful above all, all else. And, and secondarily, that he does not lie. He is incapable of lying. And then um, third, um, that he has promised to preserve his pure and perfect word. And we have it available. And so you can trust it. Because there are attacks coming. There, there's, there's already, you know, I've seen um, a Christian panic because um, all of a sudden he, he, he had heard that, um, that in Isaiah 11, it says that the, the wolf and the lamb will lie together. And he says, the Bible's been changed. It was the lion and the lamb lie together. I've always heard the lion and the lamb lay together. That's the common understanding throughout society, that it's the lion and the lamb. And that's the deception. There's a de deceive, de uh, deceiver there. Uh, just because something becomes a popular catchphrase or a, a, a societal colloquialism, uh, the lion and the lamb, just because that becomes commonality, that doesn't mean that's what the scriptures say. The scriptures have always said wolf and lamb. It's just the deception came through that subtle introduction of this twisting and then and then once that caught on once that permeated society that phrase lion and lamb then somebody went back and said oh look the bible's been changed it says wolf and lamb there's a deception there it's a, we can't trust it any longer do you see how deceiving that is um and there there's i i theorize that there's coming a point in time because of this because so many people accept this textual criticism nonsense uh, where, where just because a manuscript is older and closer to the original print date that it's more reliable, um, I'm, I'm suggesting that in the future it will be discovered uh, that Rome, the Antichrist, because she's part of this deception, she'll play her part. Um, it'll be discussed, because this is already talked about. There's this theory that Rome has hidden books of the Bible, has hidden uh, manuscripts, and in the future, those are going to be released. Those are going to be revealed. And they're going to contradict key doctrines of the Bible. Uh, they're going to cast doubt on, on certain scriptures. And, and because they're older, more reliable, um, and, and, and because uh, these manuscripts are, can be authenticated to the first century or whatever, you know, whatever deception they throw, um, Rome hid them from us so that they could hold power with their doctrines and and but here's the truth, you know, and and when that deception comes, if you don't hold firm to the to the idea that no, God is preserving there's a supernaturally preserved word of God, and it is the King James Bible. Um you have to now I always tell people you can you can say as long as you agree that there is a supernaturally preserved and perfect word you can debate, you can come to the conclusion that it's the ESV or the NIV. Um, and the, But then when you look into that, you're quickly going to discover, no, it's not. There's errors in this. There's 
there's contradictions in this. It's not this. The only one that holds up is the King James. The only one that proves that it is that pure and perfect word is the King James. But so you have to have that in your mind that that God supernaturally preserves his word. God is all powerful and overrides all deceptions. And then B, God does not lie. And then C, God has given us his pure, perfect, preserved, unchangeable word in the King James, and I can rely on it. Every single word of it is true. In this age of deception where you you can't know what is true and you can't trust your senses and, and you can't trust authorities and you can't trust um, media, you can't trust religious systems, what you can trust is the word of God. The word of God remains separated from all that deception. It is the truth. It stands alone as the 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 undefiled truth, separate from this world, protected from this world. It is the source of all truth. And so you can stand on that. And when you have that settled in your heart, when you say, this is my source of truth, not my thinking, not my reasoning, not my understanding, not what I perceive, not what people tell me, not what the world believes, not what the consensus is, but what the Bible says, this is the truth, and I submit all things to it, then you are safe. You have that foundation that cannot be rocked. That is where you need to stand. Jesus Christ is the truth. And he is the word. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Unchangeable. Unmovable. He is the truth. And, and you can stand on that and be protected from uh, this deception that's coming on the world. All right, so that's what I got for you guys this week. Um, As always, I truly appreciate you listening. I love you, and Lord willing, we'll talk to you next time.